If you have your Bibles, uh, let's go ahead and open them up to Exodus uh, chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, that's where we're going to end up uh, starting. When way back in uh, 2008, uh, when we we launched Merge, we we did so uh, with a pretty clear desire. Um, A big part of what God was speaking to us as uh, we were contemplating going on this adventure that God sized is that uh, I felt God was saying, hey, w- what do you want as a church? And actually, we were asking God that, and one of the things he said is, I just want you to be a group of people that love me by loving others. Uh, it's not a revolutionary thought. In fact, we find it very clearly written uh, in the Bible that, that our love for God would express itself uh, in our love for other people. And, and over the last 11 years, that, that hasn't changed at all, though there have been a lot of things that have uh, and I remember just a, maybe a month or two in, uh, I pulled out a piece of paper, and this was back in a time in my life where uh, I was a huge Stephen Covey, uh, John Maxwell kind of, anybody, does that ring a bell to anybody? A huge leadership person. Uh, and, and one of the things that they would consistently say is, you know, you need to write out kind of your goals and your visions and and so I remember uh, sitting in uh, the log cabin office slash nursery slash um, storage room that we were renting out uh, for Merge. None of you guys, most of you guys don't know this, but like when we first launched, it was so dysfunctional because we, we had like this 1,000 square foot office space and then like five buildings down we had where we met for church. And so when you brought your kids, we'd be like, hey, we're so glad you were here. If you don't mind, drive five buildings down, drop your kids off, take the UE come back in, and so it just didn't make any sense. But anyways, I remember sitting down in this office because you're supposed to sit in an office uh, as a pastor, at least that's what we were thought, and, uh, and I wrote out this, this list of goals of where I thought we would be in one year. And, uh, and, and almost every goal that, that we had, it had to do with this metric where you could quantify success or failure and uh, in fact it was it was very much written uh, in a tangible way that uh, where I could very sinfully stroke my own ego Uh, I would know that I was a success in life if we were able to achieve these results and uh, and I figured uh, at the time we would be within a year we would be running uh, a few hundred people at minimum and uh, multiple services. We'd have a team of full-time staff members to do all the professional church ministry stuff you're supposed to do. And uh, we would be in a building uh, that was impressive from the street to the seat, right? Everybody walk around and say, man, that building, that's impressive, right? And um, it would be a, a, a spectacle and a testimony of what we built together and, and so I remember writing that, and then about a year later, after our second Easter, finding that piece of paper. Have you ever found a piece of paper that you wrote long ago, and, and you were like, oh, let's take this trip down memory lane. Uh, and, uh, and I remember looking at it, and I was so greatly discouraged, because we were nowhere close to any of those metrics. Uh, in fact, if 100 people had shown up, that would be about three times as large as we've ever had. Uh, we weren't only running, you know, multiple services. We were running barely one okay at that best. And, um, 
And we had graduated uh, to a 2,500 square foot space, um, which we still had plenty of room to grow in. And, and by every single metric, we just failed greatly. And, uh, and it, was, it was at that time that the Holy Spirit spoke to me, um, really in the way that, that Jesus said he would come as a comforter. Uh, and, and while we were colossally failing in, in our metrics, in my metrics, uh, God at the very same time was doing some incredible things in our midst. Uh, he was helping us understand more and more what the church should look like, what the church should care about. He was helping build community between us. He was opening doors of service for uh, for our relationship with M.J. Miller Elementary School. Uh, he was opening opportunities for conversations in the neighborhood that we were meeting in behind where uh, we would just simply throw uh, what, we, what we called Merge Kids Summer Nights and basically just ran as like a, a VBS throughout the summer uh, in our front yard. And we were able to engage in conversations with kids to give them the opportunity to make the most important decision they will ever make. Uh, that we would give them the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And... And so, at the same time, all of that is going on. I, I can never, I won't ever forget the message that I heard from the Spirit uh, speak to me as I sat in the defeat of my failure, uh, really of my own sinfulness. Um, and he said, he said this. He, I don't know if the Holy Spirit speaks to you this way. He, he does me. Says, "Hey, Brandon, that that list is impressive if you're trying to write the story of you, um, but uh, you've not been saved for the story of you." You've not. In fact, uh, God is moving and He's building His church. And this was a very specific word that I heard. At His own speed. At His own speed. And then the question was, are you willing to go at His speed or do you consistently desire to go at your own? And, and what, what happened there is it began this, this shift in how we quantify success around here. Uh, how we think through what we call a win and, and how we evaluate our steps. Because what we, we came out of that season saying, okay, we long to do life at the speed of God. Because this is what I know about us, that, that it can be pretty, we can be pretty good at doing life at the speed of us or at the speed of others, right? Have you ever been living at a speed of other people and you're like, I can't keep up? I can't, I can't consistently keep in step with the expectations that the world has for me. Or, I can't consistently stay in step with the, the expectations that I have on myself. That, that the speed, uh, we can be pretty good at that. We can go at the speed of our schedules, our desires, our timing, our abilities, our strengths, our weaknesses. We can spend our entire lives going at a speed that is out of sync with the pace of God. In fact, the pace that God is calling us to live in, and the danger we face is simply this, that, that it's possible to know God, and it's even possible to claim an allegiance to Him while at the same time operating at a completely different speed. And so we, we can be going too slow, or we can be going too fast because of our ambitions. We can ignore His warnings to, to turn or yield in the midst of our flirtations with temptation. Right, we can. Uh, and bottom line is, is you can be doing life at a, the speed of you without even paying attention to the voice of your heavenly Father. And this is what we want to do over these next few weeks, because 
um, collectively, a, a majority of our church is built as parents right now, uh, and, and our lives are about to change, right? Uh, you being here today says you're done with your summer vacation, right? Everybody who's not here, they're still on theirs, and we're all envious of them, right? Um, but we're about to enter into a different scheduling and a different mode. We're about to go from school to homework to practice to fast food this night and then fast food the next night and then, well, why not just keep going? Let's stop buying groceries altogether, right? And what I long for us to do over these next couple weeks is come in and ask ourselves, is the pace of my life in sync or out of sync with the pace that God is moving? Am I aware of His footsteps? And we're going to do this We'll start this today uh, in one of my, my favorite places. We're going to look at the life of Moses. Uh, and, and what we're going to see uh, is, is God leading as we try to live and make sure that our lives are purposeful for the joy of the gospel. And so let, let's pray, and then we'll get going. Father, we come to you, and we are so very thankful that you call us out to live lives that make much of you. And what we pray over these next few moments as we open Your Word and as we walk through uh, a very familiar scene for a lot of us, that You would grant us new eyes to read this and to see this and to walk in it. That we would be aware, even in this moment, of the pacing of our lives. And that we uh, we would see if we need to speed up or we need to slow down, if we need to yield, we just need to stop. So that we would know that each one of our footsteps are in the wake of your Son. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. I I think uh, one of the greatest misunderstandings about life with God is um, that once you ask Jesus into your heart, the rest of your life is just this waiting game. Um, That, okay, I've asked Jesus in my heart, now I'm going to heaven, now I just wait to die. Uh, and, And I think... Uh, if we sell Jesus as just your Savior, then that's exactly the kind of life you expect to live. Um, but that's not the way we see Jesus presented in the Bible. He's presented, and we'll talk about this in a couple weeks, uh, He's presented as, as this twofold. He's our Savior and He's our Lord. And so He saves us um, from our sin because we could not save ourselves. That God's great love for us sends Jesus to rescue us. Now, part of the promise that we have, part of the, the covenant we enter into is that we would serve Jesus as Lord. That He would be our Lord. So that the footsteps of our lives would be in the footsteps that, that He's created. And so, so one of the greatest misconceptions, when, especially when Jesus is sold cheaply, is that you accept Him, and then the rest of your life is yours, and as long as you don't do you know, too bad of stuff. Uh, as long as you're friendly, as long as you open doors, as long as you don't punch people, because that's not right. Um, and, and the problem is that that's, that's not the gospel. Uh, because, because when this is the case, we, what we fail to see is the larger picture of what God is doing through us for the world. That, that God saves you so that your life serves as this beacon of hope and a testimony of His goodness. That, so, so there's a purpose after the you say your salvation prayer and after you baptize, or baptize, it's, it's a call 
And this is the way we phrase it around here. It's a call into God's great adventure. Uh, and, and this is why we pursue a deeper relationship with Him. This is why we long to know more of His heart so that we can uh, be more of an ambassador for uh, what Paul calls the ministry uh, of, of reconciliation. That God makes His appeal to the world through the church. And so, so we try to make sure that we understand that as we grow closer uh, to Him. And as we talk about doing life at the speed of God, what we have to understand is that there are times when God will come in and He'll tell you something specific about what He is doing in the world. And then He invites you into being part of that story. And He says, you're going to have a role. And this is what we get to see uh, with Moses today. A lot of you guys might have known Moses, but just in case you didn't, let me give you just a little bit of background, right? Uh, Moses is born during the time when the Egyptian pharaoh was trying to curb the amount of Israelite boys being born. Uh, and to the extent that he says, hey, let's kill them. Uh, and so uh, Moses' parents, kind of loving this kid, uh, said, hey, we don't want him to die, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to put him in a basket, send him down a river. Okay? Which, by the way, you can't do that. Right? You're not allowed. Somebody's calling CPS on you. Uh, but... Because of the providence of God, uh, he makes it uh, down the river and it's, he's, his basket stops around this area where Pharaoh's daughter is bathing and she sees uh, the baby and she falls in love with the baby. And uh, it turns out Moses' sister was kind of walking alongside the, the river and sees all this happening. And he, she says to Pharaoh's daughter, I know a lady uh, who can wean the child. Uh, until he is able to take care of himself. And it turns out it's Moses' mom. Uh, and so not only does she get paid to take care of the baby, uh, she gets to take care of a boy. And so for about 40 years, Moses lives in the uh, palace with Pharaoh. Uh, when he's about 40 years old, he sees uh, a, one of the Egyptians beating up one of the uh, Israelites, and he kills the Egyptian, buries him. Uh, and then, you know, just a normal day. Uh, and then the next day he sees two of the Israelites fighting. He steps in and they say, hey, you're going to kill us too. And that's when he knows what he did in secret was not so secret. And he runs because he fears for his life. He ends up in a desert. And uh, he comes to the rescue of uh, the seven sisters uh, who were feeding their livestock or, or giving water to their livestock. And then he says, hey, I think you're cute. Uh, where do you live? Uh, next thing you know, he marries the, one of these daughters, uh, and he lives in the home of his father-in-law, Jethro, for the next about 40 years. Okay? So, this is where we come into Exodus chapter 2, at the very end of it. In fact, we'll go verse 23 and 24. And it simply says this. You got it, Alan? Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, uh, which is just a cool name for a father-in-law, right? Uh, my father-in-law's name is Dan. That's not near as cool. Uh, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And I'm sorry, we're going to actually, that's chapter 3. Let's come back to this. During those days, I guess, it's, let's just assume that I made this mistake, Alan. Um, but it's really your fault behind closed doors. So, 
Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And then verse 25 says this, God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Okay? So that sets the scene. God sees, He hears the cries of His people, and He's going to deliver them from their oppression. But, but here's what I want you to know about chapter 3. All of this starts with a small flame in a big desert. That out of a small flame in this big desert, God will deliver. And, and God is going to speak to someone who is just in the middle of an ordinary uh, day who looked just like an ordinary man. And so this is where we go. Chapter 3, verse 1. All right, here we go. We're on the same page now that Alan fixed his mistakes. Um, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he, he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, while the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the bush. And I swear to you, I think it went like this. Moses! I swear, has to, right? Because we got an exclamation point at the other end of Moses. And Moses says, here I am. Now, I don't know how Moses would have responded. I don't know how you say how Moses, because we like to think of Moses as Moses, right? The Charleston Heston of, you know, the Bible, like always confident. And, and this, is bef this is when Moses was just Mo to us. Okay, so, so I don't know how he said it, but I think with God being funny about that, I, he might have peed his pants just a little bit. And so, so try not to church it up. Because um, at this point, Moses isn't a big deal. He, he really... Now, God has always known what he was going to do through Moses' life. But Moses doesn't. Moses has no idea. And, and at this point, it's not a big deal at all. In fact, he went to bed the night before just like you did. Thinking about what's on the plan for tomorrow. Thinking about family. Scheming of ways to pester your kids just enough to where you don't have to apologize when they flip out. Right? So he wakes up. There was, there was no angel the night before dropping a note saying, hey, you need to pay attention because tomorrow is going to be an incredibly interesting day for you, Moses. None of that. And here's as we take some notes in our talk notes, let me, let me give you this thought, that, that God can take your ordinary day, turn it into an extraordinary adventure. And so we keep our eyes open. We keep our eyes open. This is just another Monday from Moses. Uh, he's sitting in the wilderness, sees the flock, the flock, and he sees this spark that creates a flame, and now he doesn't know that it's eventually going to release a nation out of their uh, bondage of slavery, but it's that spark that we're noticing. Now, a thorn bush in the desert, uh, not that I've spent much time in the desert, uh, but apparently happens all the time. Uh, with the heat in the desert and the sun, all of a sudden a bush 
just sparking and lighting on fire wasn't uncommon. But the fact that this one was burning but not burning up was peculiar. And so, and then the fact that it spoke, you know, apparently none of them really speak except for this this one really special one. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying as, as we talk about God turning your ordinary day into an incredible adventure, I'm not saying that tomorrow you're going to be walking in the coffee room and all of a sudden it speaks to you and sends you to China. Okay? Uh, though crazier things in the Bible have happened. Okay? But, but what I am saying is that, that God speaks in these very ordinary moments of your life, in, in ordinary circumstances and situations all the time as this way of inviting you into a deeper part of his story. In fact, here's what I wonder about you, because I, I've wondered this about myself, even today. Did, did we wake up this morning thinking about God leading us to a burning bush? You can be honest with yourself. I'm not going to ask you to tell the group. But this morning, did, did you wake up saying, I wonder if there's going to be a burning bush somewhere in my life? I just, I just wonder. Do we expect that to be part of our lives? Am I expectant for God to use my life for His glory or am I more focused on the smaller things that I do each day that just fills up some of my time? Do, do, we, do we open our eyes with the intention of seeing God move mightily for the sake of His glory in us around us, through us? Or are we satisfied with coming in on mornings like today, reading about it in the lives of other people? I only ask you because it's been haunting me this week. And I think if we're expecting to see God move at His speed, then we should pay attention to what's about to happen with Moses. Uh, because all he's done at this point, okay, let's pay attention, all he's done at this point is just acknowledge something's happening. And then we go, verse number 5. Then he said, uh, God, said, the angel of the Lord speaks to him, says, says, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Okay, there's a whole other lesson in that. We, we won't even deal with it today. But here's, here's what I want you to, to see in your talk notes. God will do extraordinary things at, at what first begin as small steps. God will do extraordinary things that at first begin as small steps. So we keep our ears open. We keep our ears open. Again, uh, keep this in mind. Out of this bush, God is going to free a nation. And it starts with this very simple, small step of obedience from Moses. What is it? Anybody? It's okay. It was hidden back there. Take your shoes off. Thank you. Someone was confident. But I gave Troy the answer last week. And so, he's not that smart. So he says, take off your sandals. Because the ground that you're approaching is holy ground. And now, here's the issue with small steps. We don't like them, do we? We don't. We don't... We. We know that, that, here's what we instinctively know, that one small step really is just going to lead us to another small step, then another small step. And we forget that that's how momentum's created because what we really want is the end result. We want large, gigantic leaps to get to 
the reward that's on the other side. And, 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 and we want to skip the work, go to the rewards, but that's not how we grow stronger. That's, that's not how you get stronger. That's not how discipline is built. That's not how health is created. And I wonder if maybe this is why a lot of us find ourselves bored with life is that uh, we anticipate what God wants and then we try to outpace Him thinking the destination is more important than the journey. That, that's, that's how growth happens. We keep making these steps. But watch what God is doing here. He tells Moses to take a small step by taking off his shoes and once that happens, God's going to reveal the next step. That's the way relationship works with him because we'll find out that God's desire is that we adventure with him more than we would adventure for him. And so we go step by step because he knows our reliance and our provision comes from God. It comes from that relationship and being at the speed that he is traveling. So we get to verse number 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and heard their cry because of their taskmasters and I know their suffering and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And I don't know if I said any of those correctly. And now, okay, and now... Behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. And, and so, so, so God comes in and He tells Moses that He sees and He knows of the oppression of the Israelites. And, and this is something that I, I would imagine Moses knows very much of. Because he saw it then and then he left. And I imagine these nights, and I could imagine this moment of excitement building in Moses' heart because, because he, he, he sees flashes of his mother and his father and his sister, and they come to mind, and he thinks about them tasting freedom for the very first time. That's one thing I don't understand about the nation of Israel. They will consistently whine when, when life gets hard for them because they're like, well, at least we had food in Egypt, yeah, but you didn't have freedom, right? And as much as I complain about them, I look at myself and I think of all the wines that I do to God and He says, but you have freedom. You have freedom. And I imagine in this moment when God says, hey, I, I want you to understand I have heard the cries of your people, of my people, and I'm going to do something about it. I imagine Moses just tears streaming of finally, finally, a family won't be under the oppression. Right up until verse 10. And then it says this, Come, I'll send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And this is where, if we were listening to the audio Bible, you would insert screeching brakes. And Moses saying, uh, what? This is what's happening for Moses. What's happening is important for us to hear when it comes to walking in the light of the gospel. And it's one of your blanks, that because God hears 
the cries of the broken, don't be surprised when He calls you to be part of the rescue. Because God hears the cries of the broken, don't be surprised when He calls you to be part of the rescue. And so you keep your heart open. This is one, one of the most beautiful things I've been able to witness over the last 11 years is what God has done in the lives of so many here at Merge. Uh, in fact, uh, just, just watching God woo some of us, watching God send some of us, it's been, it's been one of the, mo- the greatest privileges of, of my life. I, I, I've seen God break people in beautiful ways by throwing them into situations where, where His empowering and His gifting um, was the solution. Uh, he, he's used our collective body to go into some pretty painful and very awkward and very messy circumstances while allowing us to show His love and be part of someone's miracle. And, and what you need to hear this morning is that God opens your eyes to see brokenness, to see need, to see pain, and to see mess. And He does this in order to commission you and woo you and compel you to get involved to get involved. He he wants you to feel the weight until it moves you to change. That you should embrace the courage to risk an adventure. Be active when the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. There there are so many people around you that need the hope that rests inside you that's only found in Jesus. That's what our lives become about. And so you come across people like this all the time that are like the Israelites, that are they're crying out to God. They're trapped in bondage and you see it. And you may even throw up a prayer for them, but you stay, you stay at a distance and you don't adventure with what God is calling you to be part of. And, and the plan that God has given Moses isn't complicated. We're going to see some of his excuses next week, but, but the plan isn't complicated at all. Step one, take your shoes off. Step two, go to Egypt. <laughs> And notice, notice this, this isn't multiple choice, right? He's, he's not giving them an invitation. He's giving them a call. And he says, God doesn't speak and ask our advice regarding the plan, nor should he, uh, because he doesn't come along and say, hey, Moses, I see the cries of the people. We're just wondering, what do you got, man? You got a suggestion for us? No, he says, I see the cry, and I'm going to use your life. He speaks and he commissions because he knows better than we do and he recognizes just how powerful we can be as we are adventuring with him at his speed. At his speed. We need to get to a place where, where we can acknowledge when God is calling you to go and, and that he knows exactly what he's doing and he's not just rolling the dice with your life. Because isn't that part of it, that I know God has called me to serve here or to do this or to do that, but I don't know if he really knows what he's doing. And we think like the creator of the universe is just kind of throwing dice, saying, ah, okay, yeah, we'll do that. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should... Uh, go to Pharaoh, bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And, and he said, God said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God 
on this mountain. And here's your, here's your final thought, that when God says He's going to do something extraordinary around you, avoid thinking He can't do it through you. So you keep your feet ready. You keep your feet ready. Or else, why, why would He have sent us the Holy Spirit? He doesn't just send us the Holy Spirit so we can be warned when we're entering into dangerous temptation or, or, or when we are asking about making wise decisions. Yes, you, we have the Holy Spirit for our benefit, but we also have the Holy Spirit for the benefit of others as He empowers us for mission. For mission. That, that we're, we're going to follow Moses' response uh, to the commissioning uh, in a little bit. In fact, Moses at first is going to be pretty reluctant uh, and God is going to be very patient. But so much of what Moses will say revolves around his concern of not feeling capable enough to go on these God-sized adventures and God's promise. And, and here's what God will consistently say, I will be with you. I will equip you. I will empower you. I will make the way possible as we walk together. We start wrapping this up. So here's, here's, what I, here's what I want us to settle on for a moment. Um, God doesn't place burden on our hearts so you can suggest that someone else live out a God-sized adventure. And, and now this is, this is the danger um, of guys like me uh, and it's the danger of, of see, seeing a church as the machine uh, and the pastors as the uh, as the engine, um, because because your great idea, your great burden, isn't supposed to be someone else's labor of love. It isn't. In fact, it shouldn't work that way. We've been uh, we have people here, and this is what I love about some of the things. And, and we still have we still have light years to go. I mean, we we still have our greatest adventures ahead of us. But over the years, we've seen uh, God burden people to care for orphans and for the homeless and to adventure with God into the classroom and into hospitals. We have, we have people who have left very safe, very comfortable places uh, because God met them at a burning bush and called them to adventure. And they started by taking these incredibly small but important steps. And that's the way it's supposed to work. That the church comes along, serves as a companion for that adventure God is calling you on. That's what we do. We come and we sure up the backside. We come bring strength when you're weak. We come lift you up when you're down. We come encourage you when you're discouraged. That the church comes along the side so that we can see God do the most incredible things. We come along and we battle alongside. We journey together into some dark places because that's where God is most active. I love the end of chapter 2 because it lets us know that God sees the cries of people. And in chapter 3, we get to see that God invites us into that story. It's one of the most remarkable things. I don't, I don't get it. Like God would love us so much to bring us into His story. So we, we think about our pacing as we wrap up. We think about 
our schedules, but more than our schedules, we think about our hearts. And we think about our eyes, and we think about our ears, and we think about our feet. What are we doing with these great opportunities that God has given us? Because what I'll fear is that some of us would see a burning bush, and we would say, that's a burning bush. I bet God's there, but I'm afraid to go over there because I'm afraid of what He's going to ask me to do with my life. I'm afraid of, of where He might send me. I'm afraid of what I might have to give up. And that's not an adventure worth living. It isn't. Now here's what we do know. There is no adventure of the God size you can go on that doesn't first begin with Jesus. It doesn't first begin with Him. And so, so this is, goes back to the Gospels. And I love, I love the way Jesus does this. And you can, you can check my work if you'd like. In fact, I highly encourage you to. Jesus comes into the Gospels and He simply says these words to His disciples. Follow me. Follow me. And it's an invitation into adventure. And then what we find is they follow Jesus. They fall in love with Him. He goes from being just a man to being a teacher, from being a teacher to being a Lord. And there's this one moment, and I can't, I can't recall it off the top of my head, um, but people are leaving Jesus. And He looks at His disciples and He says, he says Are you, you guys going to go too? And Peter says something so beautiful. He says, where, where do we go? Where would we go? Because you're everything. So it doesn't do us much good to think about the pacing of our lives. Because this isn't, we're not talking about a series on priorities and doing less or doing more or signing up for this or avoiding signing up for that. Because that's all, that's just part of the mess. We're talking about, is my heart God's? And if my heart is God's, did it first go through Christ? Because there is no adventure of the God size that doesn't begin with Jesus. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. As we wrap up, let me make a couple things available to you. We believe in prayer around here. We believe in, in gathering together and praying, whether it be for healing, whether it be for life circumstances, whether it be for wisdom, whether it be just a prayer of repentance. There will be a group of people by this door. We long to pray with you. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your heart. We believe He is the only way to a right relationship with God the Father. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that, that you are, that you move in our direction, even though we don't deserve that. And I pray very specifically for the group today that, that we would have our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our feet ready for your movements, that you would lead us. You would lead us, Father, to a burning bush today. 
that we would be very aware of your movement. And then you would grant us the courage to go where you send. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.